This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Navigating through this life is a difficult task, and we try to avoid the pitfalls and dangers along the way. Sometimes we take a detour to the right or left, thinking that it's the right decision. Often we end up in a place that we're not supposed to be. Chaos ensues, and we're thrown into a situation we cannot believe is happening. Our instincts kick in, and we must continue moving forward. One split second can change the entire trajectory of our lives. When the hazard is passed and we come out, we're missing a piece of ourselves that we may never get back. Wondering if we'll ever be whole again, it's all up to you whether you merely survive or thrive. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome Earl Granville to discuss the suffering of a warrior. Earl's had to fight his way back, and he keeps moving forward every single day. Thank you so much for wearing that beautiful hat in here today. <laughs> Go Eagles. Go you know, Eagles. You know, I was just going to say I'm outnumbered. I mean, I got two ugly guys and one good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the Eagles. A couple weeks ago, you were looking real ugly on that. It's a bad day to be a Giants fan. Before we get started, though, I, I got to say, I, I read up on you. I'm not worthy. Man. You are. We'll, we'll get into it. but So Earl's example is going to... Tell all of our audience to be an Eagles fan. But before we get into anything, let's get into our marquee sponsor, and that's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody, but we do trust Toyota of Hackensack. Go to toyotahackensack.com and let them find you a car. But don't forget to let them know that the podcast sent you. So, Earl, you traveled all this way to come see us. And I thank you so much for everything. I've been like Mike. I I read a lot of stuff about you. I love watching your Instagram. I love watching your social media because you never stop. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate the invite. And uh, hey, life is good. What can I say, man? You know, you throw in some bad cards. You know, if you're dealt a bad hand. You just got to play those cards right. Got to play the card the, the hand you're dealt, right? Yep, exactly. Well, I always say that I won more with seven deuce than I did with pocket aces. <laughs> That's the truth. I lost many times with pocket aces. Uh, each week we take a question from our audience is our social media question. And this week's question comes from Jonathan B says, what was the best lesson you learned in your younger life? I'm going to pass this one off to you since you're our guest today. Somebody, they, they didn't express this to me, but this person who asked me this question, it was asked to them at one point and hearing their story. And I'm not even worthy to tell it, but they were asked what will your legacy be? And that kind of stuck with me a little bit. Like, what are you going to leave this world after you pass away? And it's funny, I just listened to an audio, I'll just drive and I do, I, a lot, everything is audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a book, This Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. Uh, not, yes, I read that book. <laughs> I know exactly the book. So you, the Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Yep. And um, they, he talks about legacy in that book. And after hearing, reading that book and hearing that and like, so just think about that, you know, reflect on your life. What is your legacy going to be? And I thought to myself, you know, I, I try to give my legacy now. I hopefully if I pass away, you know, if I kick the bucket right now on the ride home, I get hit by a, a truck or something, right? Listen, I want, just wait till you leave here. Cause my CPR car is not up to code. So <laughs> if you're going to pass out, you know, make sure you're outside and, somewhere. And no, this, this will not have a little lower third in there in memoriam of Earl Granville. So please do not do that. Please. Yeah. Let's uh, not jinx this here. Yeah. Right. And you got to live long enough. Cause th- at the time of this recording in a week and a half, 
the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. So you're just, absolutely I'm just right. Keep you know, that in. I'm going to be in Texas to watch that. So oh, that's you know, going to be fun. Oh my goodness, man! So and I'll be wearing know. this. I'm sure the Cowboys fans are going to really hate it. But hey, get lost. Well, they're they're um, no. You don't have to worry about Cowboys fans. No, nah, <laughs> oh they're, my god! No, nah, this ain't the '90s, guys. Already take a hike, right? <laughs> yeah, this was, they're 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 cheerleading. Mike, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm going to watch the game down in Philadelphia. So it's a big Eagle fan now. So, <laughs> <laughs> take a trip down 95, down a Broad Street. But you know, and you're going to get a kick out of this. But one of the biggest lessons I ever learned is is my father telling me never quit. You know, and again, I'm going to bring up the Chuck Webner thing. <laughs> Again with the Chuck Webner thing. Come on. Everybody, let's not bring up the Chuck Webner. I'm trying to get back in good graces. Right? I'm trying to forget that incident. No. Like I said, Chuck Webner, my father always said he's not he's not the best fighter in the world, but he never quits. He goes in there and just keeps punching away and punches away, takes his beating, keeps getting back up and keeps going. He said, you're never going to, well, he didn't know how good I'd be, but he said, you're never going to be the best at what you do. Just keep pushing and try to be the best. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what gets you through every day. You know, just keep pushing and keep pushing. You're not going to be the best at what you do. There's people going to be better than you at anything you do. But just keep pushing along and try to be the best that you can be. You know, oddly enough, Earl, my my answer to this question sort of piggybacks on yours. I learned a lot of lessons from my grandfather growing up. He was just Mm -hmm. a very wise man and taught me everything I know about being a man. But one of the things he said to me, and I didn't understand it until I got older, it's never turn your back on somebody and give them or allow them the opportunity to call you an asshole, all right? And Mm. if you think about that, it's what's your legacy going to be? When you leave a room or when you leave this world, what's your legacy going to be? How are people going to remember you? How are people going to see you or view you? Mm -hmm. And it's odd that you said that because I'm, I'm, uh, obviously we had this question before we started recording and I'm thinking about my answer and I said, well, yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's, that's a lesson that I believe is one of my best. Do I succeed every time? And leaving leaving a room without people calling me an asshole, this guy calls me an asshole like four times a day. But yeah, it's funny. I was going to say every time I walk out of here, I'm like that asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Do I fail? Absolutely. But to piggyback on your answer, I keep getting up and I keep trying. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for that question. We look forward to all your questions. Keep sending them in, and we will try to get on the air. So, Earl, I've I've read a lot about you. I was going to say, where do we even start? Yeah, this, this, I want to, I want to start, I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Obviously, we're going to get into a pretty deep and dark story because we are on the suffering podcast. So it's all in all sunshine and rainbows here. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I'll just start someone in the beginning. Uh, Let's just say at the end of high school, I was a, I felt like I was a little punk, like literally like going to punk shows and dabbling guitar a little bit. And I think, how, how old are you? 39. You're 39. Okay. Just, I want to know what kind of punk era, era you're, you're talking about. <laughs> well, um, yeah, just uh, uh, some friends of mine in high school, they introduced me to the punk genre and I go to a little venue called Cafe Metropolis in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Um, and it, no security there and a tiny little stage and just all this underground music, I guess you can call it that. And, you know, you know, bringing the man down and all stuff like that. Mosh, and, mosh pits and all that. Oh good my stuff. goodness. That, that, I feel like that was my, uh, you know, my older, like my later high school days. It's, like it's I, still me today. I still love it, man. I still love it. Jeez, man. But, um, with that being said, my twin brother in our senior year of high school reached out to me about, uh, joining some type of armed forces services. 
and uh, my cousin Paul was as well. And I, you know, I, I so I joined in the military, man. Like, come on, man. I had to work for the man, like work for the government. And, but I think what comes with that attitude sometimes and just, plus how immature I was at it's the, the time. It's the rebellious attitude when you're younger. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, like, it, was, I it was an outlet. Yeah. Oh, that big. kind of music is an outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. And I, oh. I still do today. Jeez, man. I was a little miffed. I don't want to hear. But uh, it's um, like there was an incentive that got me to join the military. And people could call it whatever they want. And for me, it was free education. Oh, I don't, I don't have a scholarship. Uh, how am I going to pay for school? GI Bill. Yeah, GI yeah. Bill. And I, and I, and also at that time, in the going to school in the '90s, everything was: if you don't go to college, you'll never succeed in life. Anybody out there listening, who you know, I graduated high school, you know, early 2000. So it was like, if you, I think we all heard it: if you don't go to get a four year education, you'll never succeed in life. And we all realize it's bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah. If you yeah. if you look at anything with like uh, Mike Rowe, Mike Rowe Foundation actually gives scholarships to people going to trade schools because they – I forget the statistic he threw out. It was like 70% of trade positions are going unfilled, which are like $75,000 or higher to start. Right. You know, I say it all the time. I went to college for a year, you know, but, it, you know, back in the mid-80s when I graduated high school, there wasn't such a premium on college as there is now. 10, 15 right. years, we're not going to have any plumbers. We're not going to have any carpenters because exactly. everybody's got a college education now. Now, that, what, where are we going to go? And I think because of everyone got a college education, because we're all told we were, yeah. we're not going to water it down. It, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's um, now it's supply and demand. So we really need those plumbers. We need those carpenters. We need all those blue collar jobs that I feel like society for such a long time looked down upon. Well, yeah. so blue collar jobs, him and I were both police officers. We were blue collar jobs. Police salaries in New Jersey were relatively high. So where you have somebody like, we'll take car sales. You have so, uh, like a car salesman, police are making more than car salesmen, yet a car salesman is seen as a white collar job. So yes. it's it's perception. It's mm. really, really perception. So, Even before law enforcement, I was in a pipe fitters union. Mm. You know, I was always, I left college. I started working right away. I was a blue collar guy my whole life, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't need college. Oh, you needed it. Well, I know. Yeah, <laughs> well, now, don't get me wrong. In December, I finished up school. Yeah, Finally, but, I got my undergrad. But you, know, you finished it with different eyes than an 18-year-old. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, what I do now, you, if you told me this was been in my life when I was 18, I'd been like, get lost. Yeah. But literally, joining the military was because of college. You could say, it, call it whatever you want. And I, I get, you know, I remember I was getting teased for it. Yeah, whatever, man. I joined for something. But I feel moving forward, you know, things obviously changed. Joe and I graduated high school. Your brother's we, name was Joe. Yes, yes. my twin brother, twin Joe. Twin brother. Yep, twin brother, Joe. We graduated high school and we had a good summer and we landed basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. And the date was September 1st, 2001. Yeah, bingo. Wow. I don't have to tell you what happened 11 days later. And uh, Yeah, I was in the police academy when that happened. So, yeah. Uh, and I just thought, I always thought to myself, let's just say our shipping date was September 12th. Would I have gone, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'm, you know. So when you were, that's a, that's a good point. Because when I had this similar situation when I was in a police academy. You know, I, I, I remember to this day, you know, Captain, his name was Captain Jack. He came in and he said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center, which isn't a big deal because it happened all the time. When the second one hit, you're like, shit. Yes, this is no accident. Yeah. And and you, you're you joining some sort of life of service in peacetime thinking, hey, this is a college thing. Right. 
And now you're looking at it like, how did your perception change? Oh, absolutely. And you got to remember, we joined the National Guard. All those commercials growing up. Yeah. One week in a month, two weeks a year. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a God. So my life completely shifted. Like, it's... Um, but no, now yeah. it's you're going to war. Yeah. Right. And it's I mean, there's there's absolutely no thought that, oh, we're not going to send us over National Guard. I was like, oh, my God, look at what just happened. <laughs> the second time ever in history, like, our nation was under attack. You know, we all know what happened December 7th, yeah. 1941. So it's, it's... Yeah, exactly. So it's just um, the big wake-up call. Yeah. And, um, you know, and look, and we're going to Tarantino, looking at everything right now, I don't regret any of it. I really don't. I just was an immature kid at that time. Did that like motivate you at that point? Did it give you more like American pride saying, you know, I'm part of this now? Absolutely you know, not. You, it you... didn't. It didn't. Really? No, honest to God. I, I'm telling you, I would just had that bad attitude. I remember looking at Joe, just like we're in basic training together. And it's just like, what the get, fuck's going on now? Yeah, fuck, what the yeah. fuck did you get me into? What'd you get me into? Yeah, like, we could be at a punk yeah. show right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He hated that stuff. Honest to God, we were the worst twins ever. So there, there was a there was a funny story my grandfather always used to tell me. He had a bunch of brothers. He had uh, five brothers. And after Pearl Harbor, they all went down to join. It because, actually, the story is, is they all got drunk and one of their, their the brother Bill all talked them into going down and joining the army. Well, they all got accepted and Bill got rejected. <laughs> oh no shit. <laughs> yeah. So they and and the one poor my poor uncle he became prisoner of war for 27 months in Germany. So he always sort of held it against my uncle Bill. Yeah. Just so I'm sure you you held it against your brother in some form or fashion when it was going on. He probably yeah, knew, I mean, he probably knew there was something wrong with him where he couldn't get in, you know. <laughs> he got flat feet or you know, colorblind. Yeah. Ah, jokes on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like see ya, have fun. And he's sitting here with a doobie in his mouth. <laughs> Have, have fun have fun storming the castle. I'm going to go back to the bar. But yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I'm storming White Castle. Why are you guys are storming that castle? <laughs> but yeah, the world changed on September 11th. It changed for everybody. It changed everybody's mindset. When did uh, the military start to be something that you got a little used to? Basic training, you had to get used to it. Mm. So, I mean, it definitely started there, but I think the bad attitude was still there. Like, I'm, I'm here now, and there's little things like that first PT test you took in basic training. Everybody bombed it. You know, not everybody, but I remember I definitely bombed it. <laughs> like, uh, just... Uh, there and, was always that one guy who did who outdid everybody. I'm like, man, you jerk off. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Yes. Yeah. Oh, geez. The guy, his last name was Caps. <laughs> C-A-P-P-S, I believe is how you spell it. And right off the bat, he's just smoking everybody. I'm like, geez, man, you know? And like, I'm thinking to myself, I was drinking in high school, you know? <laughs> like, like I just, uh, when did I ever run two miles before? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, it, it is what it is. But that's that's the military. They build you up. And that's exactly what they did. They break you down in order to build you up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love, which right. I didn't I didn't realize that until I got into the police academy, that it's mm -hmm. a game. Yeah. It's a big game. It's, I'm going to break you down as individuals and I build you up as a team. Oddly enough, it's what I do to the kids that I coach. I coach youth sports. I build, I break them down. If I, I'll pick out the individuals mm -hmm. and I'll break them down. I'll break them. And then I build them back up and I let them build each other up as a team. And it's something, it's a lesson I never forgot. Absolutely true. And you learn a lot about yourself. You know, and it's, uh, hey, I never thought I would ever shoot, um, you know, 38 out of 40 targets with a rifle. I never thought I would be running two miles in 13 mi minutes and 20 seconds. You know, little stuff like that. 
you just learn so much about yourself if you actually embrace it. And that's what I started to do in basic training. And I think everybody does that. Like that's nothing like out of the ordinary. Well, you unlock certain things inside your mind mm-hmm. that you're, it's not possible until it's possible. It's like the four minute mile. Nobody thought that it, that it was physically human to run a four minute mile. Guy breaks it in, I think it was 56 that he breaks the four minute mile. And then within the next year, like 11 people broke it right. because it's possible. It takes one person. It takes one person to break it. But inside yourself, you never thought you were capable of doing all that stuff. And then you do it and you're like, well, what am I leaving on the table here? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and now you watch New York City Marathon, and like the 21st and 22nd mile, they're running five-minute miles. Oh, it's like, oh, oh you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, gone. So, I just ran the New York City Marathon, and I got to tell you, because of my injury, I get an early start. So when those elites run past us, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like a, a flash. Like, holy geez. And there's a car behind him with a camera, and the whole world's watching it. And I'm like, so what, hey, man, we'll slow down. Were you one of those guys, because I ran it in 06, were you one of those guys that pissed off every bridge? No, I was not, but now so, I got a goal. Jeez. So th- there's a group. So there's six bridges. Yes. All right. Starts at the Veronzano yep. and throughout. There's a group of people that's their mission to piss off of every bridge. <laughs> and so you start on the Veronzano and you're like, this guy's got to piss already. It's like you're just starting. You feel the bridge. Br- like I got stage fright, so there's no way I'm pissing off a bridge. But these guys, they they, they hung trowel off every single bridge. Keep hydrated, man. Holy shit. You said you pissed off of every bridge. You pissed off every bridge. I was going to say, I piss off all the all the bystanders. You know, it's, it's a beautiful. That's where I thought you were going. It's a beautiful scene in the beginning because they got all the boats, the FDMY boats. They're they're shooting the colored water out and everything. And it's beautiful. And here's, you look over. Oh, look, there's a guy pissing. There's a guy pissing. There's a guy pissing. <laughs> Shit yeah. they don't put on TV. No, they, they don't. Because that would be funny. <laughs> Walking no. to New York. <laughs> no, but, it, but yeah, I saw some of those elite guys in the in the pit. Um, it was a who the, it was a Peruvian guy, and they look like skeletons. I mean, they, and they move so fast. Right. It's crazy. But yeah, it's an interesting experience. But that gets back to the point. You ran now, just so everybody knows, you have one leg. Yes. And you ran the New York City marathon. Mm-hmm. So looking at the camera, I'm gonna say, <laughs> what are you leaving on the table? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what are you leaving on the table? This guy, one leg, runs twenty six point two miles. And you know what? This was my eighth marathon and this is my PR. I finally, you know, it's look, I'm not the fastest guy out there. My other leg's full of hardware. You know, I really trained different for this one. Uh, a lot of salt tablets this time too, yeah. which, cause I think in the past cramp, 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 but, uh, my goal, I said to, uh, and I, I qualify for running guide hmm. and basically they're just out there for me to, Hey, you want to go run a marathon with me? You know, basically that's pretty much, they have a little fanny pack, the whole stuff. If I need it, like a wrench for my prosthetic or whatever it may be. And I said, so you're I telling need me to... you, you need a pit crew to run a marathon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, and... gets an oil change at like mile 13. WD 40. <laughs> yeah. So, but there's some challenges inside right. yourself. And when you run across that finish line, for me, when I ran across the finish line, it was very anticlimactic, like our retirement. Retirement, yeah. Like your, like your retirement from the military. You think it's going to be this woohoo moment. And it's kind of like, okay, what's next? Yes. For me. Yeah. For me. Definitely. Yeah. I can see that. You know, it's just, um, I, I, from my immediate family, I'm the only one that got a bachelor's and I just got my bachelor's, uh, finally. And I'm 39 years old, but it's like, now what? You got to update your website because it says you're pursuing. 
Oh, geez. I just want to bring that out to you. <laughs> really? Well, I, well when, geez, you, I, when you're in the military, <laughs> let's get back to the military. Sure, when you're sure. in there, when did you get uh, – you go through basic training – Right. And you find out you're getting shipped out. And you, Correct. All right. So yeah. So um, is that when you got your real first taste of war? Um, well, my first tour was Bosnia. And if you read the book, uh, Love Thy Neighbor by Peter Moss, I read that before I went over there. You understand why NATO forces were in Bosnia in uh, 92 to 95. Huge. Uh, that was um, Slobodan Milosevic? Uh, was, that, was that the days of him? Yes. Yeah. And, they, um, and the genocide that was happening in that part of the world. Yeah. And... Uh, Three years of that going on, NATO forces stepped in. Wow, this, this has to stop. But the time we got there, read the book, by the way, anybody out there, if you're unfamiliar with the Bosnian conflict, but the time we got there in 2002, there was no real threat to NATO forces. It was more peacekeeping. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was nice, easy deployment. First time ever leaving the country. And uh, you know, I was 19 when I got you know, boots on ground. And it was just an experience. There was uh, some mass grave sites and learning from the locals and our interpreters that we worked with every day of exactly what the Bosnian people or the, the, a lot of Muslims are facing over there. Mm-hmm. You know, that book, it's like about like you and I could be neighbors all this time. And then all of a sudden uh, you just start slaughtering my family. And I, and I don't mean just like go in and shoot them all up. I mean, just horrific torture and rape it it's it's while reading that book like you know just be advised it's heavy and it's yeah. it made it made uh, made me understand why we were there mm. and came back from that deployment like i said we're national guard so i started getting that education after returning from bosnia and i went to lackawanna college got two semesters in and we got a um we got a warning order for iraq but it was a volunteer mission the way the national guard worked at the time you have to be home for so long before you are told to deploy again. I don't know the exact timeline or dates. Or And when I returned, or when I returned from Bosnia, I was like, oh man, my contract will be over in like, you know, four, four more years. So when this warning order happened, I was like, and I was volunteer. I was like, oh, I'm not going to go. But Joe really wanted to go. And I thought, man, God forbid if something happened. Something yeah, job, yeah. Exactly. you know, and it's just, um, oh, maybe I should go as well. And, and it seems like everybody that I knew on that Bosnia tour was volunteering for Iraq. Hmm. And I was like, geez, you know, maybe I should go too. This, not even just my brother, but he was a big one. And my cousin, Paul. I think those two were like the big guys, like, I should go as well. Because if you didn't go, they'd talk about it. <laughs> you can... but like you said god forbid something happened and you're not yeah, there, you're not there. Yeah. do you imagine living with that regret exactly yeah. you know here i'm partying at college and I, you know you get that knock at the door you get that phone call like oh, i don't want to fucking deal with that right. you yeah. know i'd rather be in in country i i guess i guess i'm i'm theorizing i'd rather be in country if something were to happen at least i'm i feel like i'm can do I can do something yeah. right you the know feeling and, a helplessness when you're not there exactly you know? yeah. and I think too it's um man I gotta tell you it's just I, something about that Iraq deployment because obviously I did go uh, as you could tell I'm getting up to that but um and it was the best decision I ever made you know I became an NCO I became a sergeant so I, I taken on that those leadership roles learning more about myself taking on that responsibility dealing with young punks like you used to be <laughs> helps yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but little, you know it, I, I think it was like three or four months into that tour I I got promoted to sergeant and yeah I, I started taking those roles of vehicle commander and um, yeah it's 
but it was the people I was with. It made me see, see, I wanted to think about this. I joined the military for me. What can I get out of this? Going to Iraq, I saw the big picture. This isn't about me. It's about us. It was almost a selfish choice at first. Absolutely. I'm going in for myself. You You nailed it right there. What what are they going to give me? What were the, when you were over in Iraq, what were the comment, like where did you stay? Did you, were you in a tent? Did you have pretty decent barracks? We lived in a, like. Oh, like Quonset Quonset huts? Not Quonset huts. Jeez, it's, uh, oh my goodness. I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's big trailers that, like they, uh, See, they were cats. Jeez, man, I can't <laughs> even think of what they're freaking called now. But what anyway, we, what we have to do, Mike, is we have to get three. Three Acres is one of our sponsors. They're luxury condominiums in Jersey City. We got to get Three Acres to start designing the military barracks because that place is absolutely gorgeous. Oh yeah, everybody's deployment is different. Like my unit was actually split in half. The one on Ninth Infantry, half were in Ramadi, the other half were in Al Assad. They sp- split the battalion right in half. I was in Al Assad. Ramadi's where Chris Kyle was. Yep. Yeah. 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 Ramadi was, a, was a, a devil of Ramadi. Yep. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends were in Ramadi. Our deployments were completely different. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we saw danger, but they saw a lot more than we did. Right. I'll be flat out. Like we, my platoon, we had one purple heart, Gary Sienko, and his purple heart was the, uh, their seven ton. We were attached to Marine Corps. So we would use some of their vehicles and some of their weapons and, they were in a seven-ton. They hit a roadside bomb, and he was gunning the vehicle, and it was uh, – he got a ruptured eardrum. Like, back to work the next day, no big deal. Yep. Well, Meanwhile – Did you see that roadside bomb by any chance? Did you see the, that your friend lost his hearing with? Did you see it? No. No. No, I was, I was actually not on patrol that day. Uh, so it was like we didn't – sometimes we didn't need everybody on the platoon. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when we heard it happen – and you know what's the outcomes anybody hurt and uh at the moment too it's just uh they when they assess their injuries after they hit that you know they realize one of zero drums ruptured that's you qualify for being combat wounded here's your purple heart and you know and it's just like a lot of these minor and i look any injury is an injury right and i i would never downplay somebody's injury but gary's like he's like whatever yeah those purple, you know what i mean like that purple heart medal was made during world war ii so they made every Purple Heart, and this is this is what I, I, ju- I read this plenty of times, every Purple Heart medal that is given out today was made during World War II in anticipation for the invasion of Japan. Because we know if we invaded Japan, we were going to lose millions, mm-hmm. millions. So they started, they started printing all these Purple Hearts, and they have so many in stock. Maybe it's different now because, you know, we've had a 20-year war, mm-hmm. but I don't think so. I think it's still... Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Crazy. Interesting. Like stupid stuff in my head. Like I knew Slobodan because actually I almost named my first son Slobodan. <laughs> you know, it's a family name. Um, <laughs> Kevin is a wealth of like misinformation or, you know, just a wealth of stupid like Wikipedia. information. Yeah, exactly. I, will, I will distract you with stupid information. <laughs> he'll, he'll say something I, like when he says Slobodan, I'm like, what the hell's he come up with this shit? <laughs> well, I don't know. My reaction, I stop and think for a second. I'm like, yeah, that was it. Like, yeah. slow but I'm like, When you watch yeah. that, you're like, I even pronounced it correctly. <laughs> I even pronounced I was so proud I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> you were cold slow your whole life. So throughout your deployment, you, you saw some crap. You saw yeah, some it was, stuff. Yeah, it was minor. To be honest with you, like my first ever firefight was uh, January 2006. And it's, um, we're on route Tampa going south and we came to a security halt and four vehicles were on a dirt road parallel to where we were and they just started lighting us up and we destroyed the fuck out of them. Like, not one person was injured on our side. Three vehicles we 
just completely destroyed and one actually got away, but we had air support because it was long convoys we had, like 11 military vehicles and 50 50 tractor trailers driven by third world nationals, right? So we need air support for stuff like this large. So that one vehicle that got away, air support took care of it. (laughs) And that week is when I re-upped my contract. I'm 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 not kidding. And my gunner, he couldn't get a good view on those trucks. You need but to I take was, a little bit more time on your decisions, sir. Because <laughs> that's the second bad decision. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, thankfully, I never did. thought of it that way. Yeah. You well, probably, like, probably sat there and said, this shit is cool. I'm, yeah, well, is cool. I'm telling you, I was like, I, was, I watched my buddy Bob Farrell. He was in the vehicle in front of me, and um, he, was, uh, he had a 50 cal. He was gunning. And his 50 cal jammed. Instead of trying to figure out how to fix it, he reaches inside. Did you ever see Terminator 2? You know when it was at Skynet and he kicks that, <laughs> kicks the desk out and he starts shooting towards the cops with the minigun and he runs out of bullets and he pulls out an M79 and he blows up the one cop car? That's exactly what Bob Farrell did, my buddy Farrell. Like, I'm not kidding. He 50 cal jams. Here comes the freaking 79, blows up one of the trucks. And I was like, what the fuck am I watching right now? Like, and I think why it was... It, like you're just pumped up on adrenaline. We blew those trucks up and we just kept on going. Yeah. That was it. Nobody got hurt. We, there was nothing towards us. And it was just like, holy shit, is this just happening now? Like my guys in Ramadi, my friends in Ramadi, it was a much different deployment. Like August of 2005, uh, one of the units takes sniper fire and somebody gets killed. That's it was Staff Sergeant Billy Olstrom. I was in Bosnia with it. I didn't know Billy that well, but um, he was killed. Right. And then, um, well, that's, where, that's where Jocko Willink was. He was yep. task unit bruiser. And uh, he, he tells a great story. It's They call it the wire because the wire you go outside of the wire, you're in danger. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then uh, after that, there was uh, – and I'm, I'm leading up because there's a reason why I'm saying this. And it was September 19, 2005. Billy Evans, Specialist Billy Evans there. He's he's a driver for Bradley, a Bradley fighting vehicle. Looks kind of looks like a tank track vehicle. Um, you know, he's killed in action after hitting that roadside bomb. And then 11 days later, I'm sorry, nine days later, September 28th, it was a big one. Uh, five uh, gentlemen in the 109th Infantry, they hit a white phosphorus IED outside of Ramadi. Um, Staff Sergeant George McLeese, Staff Sergeant Daniel Arnold, Sergeant Eric Slobodnik, uh, Specialist Lee Wiegand, and PFC Oliver Brown. Now, I... It's it, great that you say their names, by oh, the way. Oh, absolutely. You have to. You have to, man. And it's just... You got to remember. I went on leave from Iraq like we all got two week leave and we choose to take it we want yeah I'll go home for two weeks and man I gotta tell you it's a the community we're National Guard now okay this isn't seven people in an active duty unit this is all from the same area little northeastern and central Pennsylvania all killed in action what is this doing to a community yeah does that make sense like Mm -hmm. it's 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 that much more impactful and yeah it's just uh it's heavy Heavy, you know, and I, I just some of the story of these guys, like uh, Staff Sergeant George Wiglisi. My before I came here, I have a little beater vehicle, and I, w- I need to drop it off at the garage. His nephew, who's a good friend of mine now, Justin Merrigan. Hey, I called him up today. I was like, Justin, would you uh, uh, follow me to garage and then bring him back to my house so I could take my truck um, to Jersey? In, in yeah, absolutely, but like, you're fr- I'm friends with all these people. They're my neighbors. Like they're. Yeah, Those like who said, passed away. Like so, you said, I mean, they were all from a close-knit, well, right. not a close-knit, but a close area. Yes. See, it was a different type of war because him and I remember Gulf War very, very clear. We were actually of age. 
And I think they lost like 12 people, something along those lines in, in the initial attack. It wasn't anything significant. And then we see this war. And I don't know about you, Mike, but this is the way I thought of it. I'm like, uh, you know, we're going to just destroy them. We're going to, you know, turn it into glass mm-hmm. and all that, all those pro-Americans. Be in, be in and out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll be in and out in a couple of weeks. And then you start seeing these these deaths and you start seeing it. And you watch. you start watching the news. And now all of a sudden you get what the people in the Vietnam era Understood. Reading the papers, looking for names. God, what a what a wake up call! You know, it's never ending too. It's crazy to think that these conflicts. And I think one of the reasons too, it's like we're not fighting the government. We're not fighting. Um, I mean, we took Saddam out of power, but we still have enemy there, Al Qaeda. And then when we pulled out, you know, ISIS just ISIS. rolled right in. And uh, in Afghanistan, we're dealing with the Taliban. And I mean, the, you got to remember the Russians lost to the Taliban in the 90s. So, so. That's, a, that's an interesting question. And, and it's, it's not American politics because we refuse to get involved in that. However, with Iraqi politics, when Saddam was caught and when he was hung, I'm like, yeah, all right, this guy's a son of a bitch. Let's hang him. In retrospect, it was probably the worst thing we ever did. That's my opinion. Solely my opinion. Because he was an animal, but so are these people that you're fighting right now. Right. Animals. And you, it takes an animal to, to govern an animal. I want you to think about, here's, have you, in our culture here in America, you probably know a million people with an American flag tattoos. Now, there's a reason why I'm saying this. <laughs> exactly. I see it right there. When you go over there, right? It, well, first of all, why do we have these American flag tattoos? The pride that we have. Let's just say somebody invaded America. And I don't mean like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor, like actually boots on ground, like trying to invade uh, lower Manhattan, right? I would, maybe maybe Manhattan isn't the good example, but let's just say bumblefuck Alabama. Like a Red Dawn situation. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's the military. I think it's the everyday people like you and me that they should worry about. Well, actually, so that's one of the, the 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 things against getting American flag because then they see you coming. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually you you make a good point there. I may have to cover this. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, my point is like long there's there's so much pride in our country and the people with like we love this country so much and it's like don't fuck with us. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, we have a big badass military, but our people too. There is no passion within the Iraqi people. There is no. There is, you'll never see somebody with an Iraqi flag tattoo or an Afghan tattoo. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, there is no, where, That's yeah. why when ISIS came in, the military, after we gave the Iraqi military, we gave them all these weapons. We gave them fobs. We gave them vehicles. It just, but they don't have the heart like Americans do to fight for what's there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But, and You know, I, I think, I mean, they're, they're, they have to go in the military over there. I don't think. I think they're, I think they're conscripted, like. You know, they used to call people during the Civil War conscripted. They weren't drafted. They were just like told, you know, you're going in the fucking military. Yeah. So in, in the United States, you know, we haven't had a draft in a while, but the people in our military went in there pretty much for the love of the country. It would I, I correlate that to these, these other countries where you're almost forced to go into the military. It's like going to college. Right. Right. So to them, that's like college. You know, you sit in college, you're like, oh, these guys were military. That's where they were expected to go you know they, there's there's something to that with iraq but then you have a, a a nation like israel and you have to go in the military in israel israel's are very prideful of their country so i think well one respect you're right there is no like you have to do it it's just like a rite of passage 
For Israelis, the, it's got to be the pride thing. It's got to be. There's a little bit, and you know, these watered down words will say it, but there's a little bit of freedom over there in Israel. I think Saddam, with that iron fist that he had, like I, I love the movie. My favorite military movie ever is Three Kings. Oh, yeah. And when we, it's like Saddam will kill us. You know, you, you hear the Iraqi military, Saddam will kill us if they take, you know, like they're, they're living in fear over there. Mm-hmm. So now their dictator, guy with the iron fist, is gone. So we're going to think we're going to cure all of Iraq's problems by giving them democracy. Fuck no. No. They're not going to do that. Like, now it's like, I'm free. This country has done nothing for me except rule me with an iron fist and tell me what to do or else they're going to kill my family. So why the hell? What are they fighting for now? Now that's gone. You know what I mean? Now that's gone. So here comes ISIS rolling in. Fuck this. I'm out. You see what I mean? Yeah, it, it, you, you watched it. You watched it happen in Afghanistan. What? A year and a half ago. The same, when we pulled out of Bagram before... Anything else? Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. I was like, that's a fucking bad yeah. idea. I remember yeah. I remember reading that article before we had the initial pull of the rest of our military. But Bagram is like the I think every single human being that every American, I could be wrong, but like let's just say ninety percent of military probably all go into Bagram first. It's, it's the hub. Yeah, exactly. And it's I mean it's it they looked at Bagram was like a big, huge military base. I rarely got attacked. You know, you're saluting, which any place, any other place in Afghanistan or Iraq, you don't salute. Like mm-hmm. it's just you're in a war zone. But if you don't wear your PT belt on Bagram, you're you're gonna get a fine from the MP. It's like it's it's it was it's like, like a being pe- a peacetime military, yeah. right? It was like being in garrison, is what we call it, yeah, yeah. you know. And um, but because I think all the traffic going there and how safe it was compared to all these other places, and once we pulled out of there, I thought this isn't good. And then. Yeah. Um, yeah, when we we pulled our muscle out, the U.S. military and left our vulnerable there. I'm I got an interpreter there right now, and it sucks because I'm still trying to get him out of Afghanistan. But we pulled our muscle out and left a vulnerable there instead of doing it reverse. Well, the Three Kings situation, you know, these people exactly. Now you can yeah, never go back in. I didn't even in. think about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now so, you now you can never go back in because you screwed these poor people right. who did help you when you were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're. I want to get back to your deployment. Sure. All right, okay. your deployment. At some point, it goes south for you. On this deployment, we ended up finishing, and I came home. Right. Oh, this On, is this is Iraq, right? Okay. Okay. So, and I came home. I enrolled back into college. I got my two year degree at Lackaw- uh, Lackawanna School, Lackawanna College. Then we got another warning order, another volunteer mission, and this was Afghanistan. And I um, raised my hand right away. I was like, "Okay, I just finished." college. I'm still, I got more education under my belt to use from the GI Bill, but where should I go next? What should I do? Um, I was even, I was thinking about being a Scranton firefighter. Like, what's what's next? And then this deployment for Afghanistan came up. It was with a different battalion, the 103rd Armor. They were looking for volunteers. I'm like, I'll do that. Joe, on the other hand, he was going to stay back. He's now married. And him and Stephanie, his wife, want to start a family. I get it, man. This is a priority. Yeah. And he had, Joe asked me not to go. I was like, dude, we're going to be going back to Iraq a, like a year and change from now with the 56th Brigade, a different brigade in the Pennsylvania Guard. We're going to be attached to them. How about we just stay back and do that together? I'm like, sorry, dude. Cut my cord. <laughs> and off I went. And on this deployment to Afghanistan, we were called, we were part of what's called the Provincial Reconstruction. Reconstruction team, which is PRT for short. The PRT's job is we 
worked with locals in Afghanistan, local government, like small government, like uh, village elders and mayors and stuff like that, helping rebuild parts of Afghanistan that the Taliban was destroying. We we were in the Paktia province in the capital, which is Gardez of this province. And like big thing we were doing over there is help renovate the hospital in Gardez with other projects too, like building schools. And we were just all over the province doing this stuff. My platoon's job, we were the security force for the core PRT. That core PRT was civil affairs, which had these one-on-one meetings with these local government. We had U.S. civilian engineers. So not even all of us were military. And it was a mix of branches as well. Like we worked a lot with the Air Force. My medic, uh, uh, Eric Jones, he was a tech sergeant in the Air Force. So a very unique mission from everything, anything I've done. And every person, I got to, I got promoted to staff sergeant and we would, every person we would escort would be in the backseat of our Humvees or our MRAPs, whatever we were uh driving that day. Every person except for one individual. This gentleman, his name is Major Scott Haggerty. He's a civil affair officer in the Army Reserves out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. He resides in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I believe his unit's in Texas, though. And he just liked to be in charge of the vehicle he was in. He's in 04. He's a major. And, you know, whatever, man. You want that job in that shotgun seat? Barking orders? Have attitude. Tell you what, I'm going to be your gunner. And I put my gunner, Craig Rains as a passenger in a different vehicle, okay? This is a four-day mission, a little town called Zormont in eastern Afghanistan, looking at a site for a school. And the final day out there, we're looking at this site uh, for where we're going to build this school. And we had to take a different route back to Fob Gardez. Uh, I won't get too deep into reasons why, but less choking points, traveling faster on this new route we're taking, it was a route that we weren't familiar with, but looking at the maps, looking at our Blue Force trackers, anybody out there, Blue Force trackers, like our, our electronic GPS in the vehicles, looking at the map, it seemed a lot more safer, wider roads just flying through us. Okay. And I remember uh, being on the headset and saying to the crew of my vehicle, only the people in my vehicle could hear me on the headset, being that I was in Gunner's Hatch. And I just said, uh, who the heck's watering their grass in Afghanistan? Look at how nice this is there. Because this is, like I said, it's a new area none of us are familiar with. But my first time, any of us, I believe anyway, seeing this bright green vegetation in Afghanistan. Like, boy, this is beautiful here, man. <laughs> the next thing I remember, I saw nothing but black. You know when you put your head underwater and what you're hearing when your head is underwater, yeah. that faint noise, or like when you clog your ears with your fingers. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yep. That's the best way to describe what I was hearing at that time. And I felt this momentum. And I remember saying to myself, in my mind, just saying to myself, feeling this tiny little momentum, what the fuck is going on right now? And finally, it was just a moment when I came to, I opened my eyes. Big, beautiful sky. It's like 2.30 in the afternoon over there. And I'm like, geez, why am I looking at the sky? Holy shit, I'm on the ground? Wow. My, le- my feet are backwards and I'm full of blood. To the left of me, the Humvee is completely ripped to shreds. We just hit a roadside bomb. Wow. You didn't hear any bang? No, no you, you didn't? You... I went from talking on that headset to, to everything I just described. Like, just like that. And very next thing I heard was my buddy 
Joe Vore yell, get him in a body bag. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? All right. Like, then I just start assessing everything. All right. I, I can't stand up. I don't have a working weapon on me. Get him in a body bag. We're not under attack because I don't hear gunfire. Um, what the fuck's going on? People are killed. Is it us? Is it them? What's happening? Doc Jones got to me. I was like, Doc, how's everybody doing? They're doing fine. They're doing good. We're going to get you out of here. My uh, lieutenant came over, Lieutenant Naylor. They started working on my wounds. Um, senior Airman Stone, Air Force, another Air Force dude, he was calming me down. You know, I got to tell you, Stoney, we call him Stoney. Stoney, he, um, I, he kept to himself. He was reserved with everybody. You know, very, I don't want to say passive, but he was just to himself. That dude, I did not hear him stop talking. And uh, I, I, I got to tell you, that's one guy I always wonder where the hell he's at now. Because, like, he just, he would just keep me calm, make sure I don't go in the shock. I was going to say, was there any pain, at this, pain involved in this? Or Not was it that, just adrenaline and shock? Or Yeah, I'd say adrenaline, a little bit of shock. Mm-hmm. Like, I just started going. They got me on a litter. My interpreter that I was telling you about, who's still over there, we're trying to get back. Him and an Afghan police officer, they all helped get me on a litter and they carried me over behind one of the bigger vehicles, the MRAPs for cover. And when they carried me over, they, I'm con- like I said, I'm conscious, I'm coherent. I'm just trying to make sure I don't wig out. They carried me right past two body bags and those bodies bags, the body armor around it. And it was right next to our vehicle. I knew exactly who the fuck it was. And unfortunately you know, it was, um, it was Major Scott Haggerty of Stillwater, Oklahoma, the gentleman who took my vehicle, which is why I'm still here today. And Specialist Derek Holland of Wingap, Pennsylvania, he was driving the vehicle that day. And Derek was only 20 years old. Wow. He was the youngest in our platoon. Heavy shit. He just turned 20, actually, two months prior. So, so what, when did you find out the full extent of the damage? Of, of what you went, of the damage on you? Well... I, you know, have to say, I, before we get there, there was a moment that I always like to talk about. Another person was wounded that day and his, it was the Afghan governor who was in the backseat of our vehicle. And the two of us got on a Blackhawk and be with us that got on that Blackhawk with an Afghan police officer who wasn't wounded. He was there to escort the, uh, the governor. And when we got to Bagram Air Base, my first visitor ever was this Afghan police officer. And he walks into my room, you know, stands up straight, big smile. And he puts his hand over his heart and he starts talking. And he doesn't even fucking speak English. But we all know body language. And I look, I say this right now because my unit never went through something like this. But there's situations that we call blue on green where... Maybe the Afghan police or the Afghan military, we're working with them every day, the same people, individuals, and one just decides to go rogue and start shooting us. So always don't trust them, don't trust these scumbags, this and that. For this gentleman to walk in and greet me and just to see how I'm doing, I don't know who this guy is. We don't even like, but we all know body language, right? That's the way the Afghans greet. That's the way they say hello, smile, and they do that. Man, I got to tell you, that will always fucking stick with me that moment right there. Cause it made me real. I'm 24 years old at this time of my life and you know, don't trust these scumbags. And I'm like, it was a little bit of eye opener where, you know, um, I hope this isn't political, but we look at a few bad apples in law enforcement and all of a sudden society looks at them 
all is bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, how simple-minded can people be? You know, I was looking at the Afghan Afghan police as they're all bad because of a few bad apples. What do you think is going on in America right now? Well, it's I've said seven hundred thousand cops in the world in in America, and five of them they're blaming us for the five bad apples that are out there. I've said this before on this show: we're all judged by our lowest common denominator, and that is universal. You're just you're telling me it's universal. Yes, there's some bad Afghani police officers, but there are some good ones too. Absolutely, there's some bad soldiers. There's some good ones too. I always say, law enforcement today's present law enforcement is the Vietnam veteran. From 50 years ago. It's it's one of the charities, around, and I'll get into it later. It's why we started working with cops and trying to, because like as a, as a, as a disabled veteran, as a, I don't even like to use that word, as a guy who was hurt overseas and serving in the military, um, you know, I, there's so many charities out there for us. Like they're real. it's, I feel blessed. I really do feel blessed. But we look at law enforcement, you know, we look at our first responders we look at what happened on 9-11. The whole reason why I feel like, you know, the, the beginning of the global war on terrorism, let's be real here, their first casualties and the first warriors of Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, meanwhile, I feel like everything I have is taken care of. But our first responders, John Stewart shouldn't have to go down to Congress and say, why are we not taking care of those that were taking out that pile? Does that make sense? Yes, yes absolutely. You know, they know exactly where you're coming from. Yep. And it's just, it's, that's why I always feel blessed. I always feel blessed that, uh, says, oh my God, you lost your leg in Afghanistan. You're just five bucks in a fucking house. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, wow. It's just, I'm, I feel very blessed. Wounded, about wounded warrior project and all that. There, I, there is one place in, in this local area and they're, they're one of our gracious sponsors. And I got to show, I got to throw a shout out to them. So it's Grand Saloon in Clifton. They treat police, first responders, vets. They treat us like gold and that's mm-hmm. 940 Van Houten Avenue in Clifton. Those are the places and those are the people that surround themselves that, yes, while there are some bad optics on police, those are the people that make it all worth it because at least somebody's seeing you. Right. At least somebody's seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're you're laying up in this hospital bed mm-hmm. and what was the decision? Was the leg, did it have to go or was it, a, a, well, we could try to save it. Is that one of those things? Well, it was, uh, I went under for surgery in Afghanistan doing surgery on my right hip. The next thing I remember, a nurse is pulling my breathing tube out, and as I calm down, she uh, lets me know that I am in uh, Longstuhl Air Base in Rammstein, Germany. That's, yeah. <laughs> wait, so, wait, wait. So you went to sleep in Bagram. <laughs> yep. And woke okay. up in Germany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, now, apparently, I was awake before we took that flight over there. But so at this point, my higher command is seeing how, in seeing me in Bagram and seeing how I'm doing. I, I, I guess I was up. I was talking to him. Somebody said it, you were joking. Oh, I guess there goes your dancer career, right? And uh, it's like, I don't remember any of that shit. But waking up in Germany, the doctor comes in that day and says, we Think we could save your right, but your left leg, it looks like you're going to have to get an amputated. And I actually asked the doctor, I was like, you think I could keep it? And I was like, well, dude, if you keep it, you're in a wheelchair or crutches the rest of your... Listen to me, doc. Do you think I could keep it? <laughs> See what I'm getting here, guys? <laughs> I, like, in a jar. Home with me. Yeah. 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 And you know what he says? <clears throat> no. And I'm like, there's no... It's mine. Nothing, what are you talking there's about? There's fucking it's, no, nothing more mine. Like, you know what? When Holyfield got his ear bitten off, I hope he got that shit back, right? Yeah, t- you know? Tyson gave it back to him. <laughs> yeah, didn't you see the commercial? Yeah. But no, he said, uh, 
I actually, what are you going to do with the doctor? He's like, well, what you do is we're incinerator. I was like, what a fucking waste of prop that is right there. It's like, you're probably bringing it home to your dog, right, Doc? Like, have him chew toilet. Could I have my boot back anyway? <laughs> so your, your speaking engagements, how great would that be? You come in on the table. <laughs> you think you had a bad day? Guess where that one was? <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> Just somebody somebody starts tackling you in the crowd. You kick them. <laughs> have a little fun with it, you know. But you know, it's it, the way you're approaching this, the way you're even talking about it. And we're we're just into is amazing because now after the leg, you found out the leg had to go. Right? Was there a little bit of depression, or was it I this can, attitude the whole time? I gotta say, with confidence. Look, I want you to picture this. If I didn't escort Major Haggerty that day, I would have been killed. Every day I sat in that seat unless I was escorting Major Haggerty. Every fucking day. So, like, I'm trying to keep, like, dude, this is not going to fucking let you down. That's what I just, like, dude, this can't, this can't fucking let you down. This can't do it. Don't get me wrong. I had my moments. And I think we all do. We all do. Yeah, like, it wasn't all, at least I'm alive. No, man. Like, (laughs) look at me, no leg. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, like, but there was moments where I'm like thinking of like the guys overseas. Like, I remember like this is the days of MySpace and I sent my buddies MySpace messages like, fuck, man, I wish I was still there. You know, like, I wish I was there with you guys. Because you got to remember my Iraq deployment, it's the people I was with, which made me want to volunteer. Sometimes in Germany, like, I was there for about three or four days, I believe. And eventually, June of, 2008, I finally went back to the States, Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And this is going to be my home for a while. And one by one, I would get visitors uh, like three days in ICU. Uh, and they would have to visit me one at a time. Like they would just wait in the hallway. One would come in, one come out. First my mom, then my dad, then so-and-so. And then there was my brother. And I remember uh, Joe just saying to me at one point, like, like I should have just gone with you. Like, dude, what the f- yeah. Like, what the f- like, dude? Don't don't think that, man. And I even when I try to humor him about, it, I was like, look, man, I gotta tell you, it's don't think like that. You're just gonna drive yourself crazy, man. Like I'm yep. here, right? You know, it's like, like in the moment in Afghanistan, I didn't know like when this initially happened. Like, Joe, I I didn't know what was gonna happen, how things were gonna be, but I'm still here. And I'm even saying to Doc, like, Doc, is, is everything like? Am I gonna like? Are we gonna be all right? He's like. Dude, you're going to be fine, man. I was like, what, Doc, are you? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm One, good. that's still attached. Three, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah. But like in that moment, like with Joe, no matter what humor I gave him, it just wasn't going to happen. And Which is what you were afraid of is if he went on that yeah. second deployment. It's funny how it works like that, yeah. doesn't it? Well, you know, we, I mean, we've had people in here before that, that with military experience. Uh, and they said like when they went home, they actually re- almost regretted going home because they felt like they were leaving their their troops behind. Right. You know, they felt like they were bailing out on them. It's something I don't know what it is with that culture, man. But the things you experience, the the stupid downtime, like you said, guys got in trouble. Yeah, that's, um, and that's it's across the board. That's from a World War II vet, right? You know, and it's happened in every major conflict. But we we, we had the sniper in here, yeah, and he Steve. could he couldn't go back anymore. And he said he used to cry at night thinking that. He left. It, it, he, he let, let everybody. His, down. He let everybody down. And I think there's also. I feel like is the shit we were in, the danger sometimes that you were put yourself in, because it wasn't every day. Like it wasn't. You know, it, I'll be. I'll be real, man. I. I didn't see a lot of action from both those deployments. Yeah. You know, I. I'll be real, but um, I saw enough where I could have cool stories, but sounds like Joe had what's called survivor guilt. 
Right, and he wasn't yeah. even there. Yeah. Well, right. that's that's the part of it. That's and I gotta gotta tell you, Joe's personality. Joe is he's very Joe is like he's a lot better soldier than I was. I'm not saying I was bad. He was just very good at what he did. And anybody who served in the 109th in that era who knew Joe and myself, and especially at Alpha Company in Honesdale, you guys out there listening, everybody knew Joe was like just top notch. And I was just, I, maybe you could say average. I learned a lot about myself and growing, but I mean, I was just, hey, you know, laid back guy. Yeah, call me Earl. Like we all know I'm in charge. Call me Earl, dude. Like relax, you know. Um, you don't have to call me Sergeant Granville, but it's just how it was. But I'm going to tell you, my time at Walter Reed, I learned how to walk again. Things were good. Things were great. Like, I learned how to snowboard, again, with a special prosthetic leg. I learned how to play sled hockey for a team called the USA Warriors. Life was good. And then I medically retired and got out of the Army. And I got a job in Washington, D.C. as an archaeological lab technician. And on my weekends, I would go home. And a week before Christmas in 2010, I'm getting ready for this black tie event with uh, the girl I'm dating at the time. I get out of the shower. I put my prosthetic and suit pants and a t-shirt on before I get fully dressed. I'm in front of the mirror doing my hair. Phone rings. I let it go to voicemail. I finish doing my hair. I wash it, wash my hands. I go grab my phone. I look at the phone, see it's my mom. I listen to the voicemail. And she sounds very distraught in the end. Earl, you need to call me immediately. Wait, what's that about? Right? So I give her a buzz back. She picks up the phone and she says my name so ever somber. Mom, what's up? Like, Earl, I'm so sorry. Mom, what's going on? Earl, mom, deep breath. Talk to me. What's up? While Joe was on active duty, he took his own life. Worst day of my life, guys. I'm sure. You know, how do I get this second chance at life and have Joe take his away? The next day I had to go to Joe's house. There's his wife. There's his kids. There's some of our friends that we served with. There's our our friends growing up. There's Joe was a corrections officer before he went active duty in the National Guard. Each unit has people who are on active duty. And before he was active, he was a CO. Some of his CO buddies were there. And you can imagine the energy in this house. And I'm just like, fuck, man, I don't want to be like this. All right. So, all right, what happens now, guys? Okay, so tomorrow is Monday. Um, the 20th. Is somebody going to be at the armory? I know it's like close to Christmas. Okay, perfect. I took my cousin Paul and my best friend growing up, Dave Rivera, who both served in the guard as well. We went up to the armory. There's my old writing sensio, Staff Sergeant Peterson. I give He gives me a hug and condolences. I take a box from him. There's Joe's desk. I empty out his desk. Task done. Now what? Okay, let's fill out the paperwork for the funeral. Boom, that's done. What's next? I need you. Go work with supply. And It's going to be an open casket, so I want to make sure Joe's in his dress uniform, his military dress uniform, and make sure all the wards are up to date. Make sure that happens. You, I, my, Joe's wife's Catholic. I need you to go work with St. Rose Church in Carbondale to work all the logistics with Steph for that. Okay? Boom. Get that done. And I need you to come with me to help with my mother pick out a casket at Priest Funeral Home in Carbondale. And I just started delegating all these tasks. I'm not really processing exactly what the fuck is going on. I, I knew it happened. I know Joe's gone, but I'm just like, all right, let's get all this done. Boom, 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 boom. You went to supervisor mode. Yeah. And it just, it, the next, and eventually, day of Joe's funeral, I got in my dress blues. I walked up to that casket. I give him the final salute. And that's that. But eventually, when everything quiets down, that's when the danger happens. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. you. You fucking nailed it. Hmm. You see this. You see this across the board, not only with military, 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I watch this, and to a much lesser degree, obviously, but I watch this with my grandmother. My grandfather was sick and he was dying, and everybody's focused on him. Everybody's focused. She's focused on him. We're focused on him, and he passes. And then at the funeral, when everything quiets down, I look over at my grandmother. My grandmother's really sick. She's really sick to the point where she's probably got only another couple months to live. We, we get her medical attention, and she, she lives quite a while longer. But that's what happens. You're, you're hyper-focused on one thing. And then when, when everything's done, you're like, uh-oh. Forget about the pieces that were around it. Yep. Dust settles. Yep. I have no purpose. My, <clears throat> I never really thought about what was next after this i knew i wanted to go back to college i was working in dc and like what the fuck happens now what do we do now what happens like my i there was nothing to live for i felt like and and, and it wasn't like oh there's nothing to live for i'm gonna kill myself no it wasn't like that but i just like i didn't know what was next and my mindset went right back to playing the victim or i'm sorry it went right back to like when i first joined the military i was making it all about me once again like when i said i joined for college when i joined the military but now I'm making it all about me, but in a whole different realm. And that's just by playing the fucking victim, feeling sorry for myself, thinking the world owes me everything. Let me ask you guys something. Where's playing a victim get you in life? Yeah, nowhere. Exactly. It's I tried. in that deep hole. I tried for quite a while to play the victim and it did not work out. It so doesn't well. get you anywhere. Yeah, no. It's just like having a shovel. You're going to keep digging that hole deeper and deeper. Yep. You keep playing a victim. You're just going to get Bas- down in that hole and you're never going to get out of it. I basically turned into... Uncle Rico. <laughs> you know that guy? Like, my mind is in the past. Just my glory I was, days. I was a great football player. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Cowboys will get a ring with him. <laughs> but that's that's where my mindset went, and I just lived in the past. I was that guy at the bar with my dog tags out. You know what I did for my – like, I was that shithead. Yeah. I was that shithead. You know, and I'm – I have not made friends saying this, like this dysfunctional veteran attitude I feel like my generation of veterans have. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Look, man – you got to thrive. All this like trauma is going to happen in your life, but it does not have to define who the fuck you are. And I got, I, I had to find that out. I, it wasn't like overnight this shit happened. My mindset got like this. There was a lot of falling down. There was a lot of just self destruction and just destroying myself. You're, like, you're not just going to snap out of it, right? You know, you can't just snap out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to work your way out of it. Yep. Well, instead of an elephant in this room, we actually have say that. we actually have a cinder block in this room. <laughs> and I'm so, I'm going I'm going to assume that that has something to do with your new purpose. Well, life is purpose. It really is. If you don't have purpose, you're going to fucking fall apart. You what is your legacy going to be? What do we start with? All right? And all like cuz I truly believe you know, what led me to where I'm at now was motivation i feel like was somebody telling me your brother was just proud of things you were doing like i was very athletic i I was pushing myself when i initially first lost my leg and it was the people around me too walter reed was just full of men and women like me like this and i'm seeing people with much more injuries much more worse injuries than me thriving and that was like like fuck this ain't so bad you know why can't i be like that exactly you know and, and that right there was like a big push just people like you you know you you become the people you surround yourself with and who i was surrounding myself with which is like everybody there at walter reed they were just like oh let's do this let's do that let's be active walter reed was a great place and it still is you know i still get there for prosthetics but i lost all that when joe died 
you know, I didn't know what was next. And I got involved in Spartan races, got involved in CrossFit. I joined organizations like Operation Enduring Warrior. This organization right here, I feel like they ended up, uh, I, I met them at a Spartan race and their mission is to honor, empower, motivate wounded and disabled veterans to stay active. So we're, I want to put up a lower, lower third Operation Enduring Warrior. We're going to, we're going to put some links to those in our show notes as well. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Check us out. We're not just military, man. We're, we're recently something we talked about earlier in the yeah. show. We just started working with law enforcement because how society looks at the law enforcement culture, a few bad apples and society, society hates all of them. And the new V I like to call it the new Vietnam veteran is how society looks at our, our law enforcement nowadays. So anyway, I, I, met these individuals and they helped me get through a Spartan race and meeting them that day. Um, you know, I met the rest of the team, each person that's wearing a uniform and a little, they have a little assault pack. They're all current and former military and they helped me through the Spartan race. And before we took off on that race, they all donned a gas mask. And I was like, you guys are hardcore, man. After the race, they asked me, what do you think about joining us? Well, you don't just join. You have to earn a spot. You got to get blooded in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You have to go through an indoctrine. And, you know, now it's let's, it's safe to say I threw my indoc in 2014. Um, half my class didn't make it. and But it was the biggest kick in the ass I needed. It wasn't a bunch of people like, you could do it. Or like, you know, let's help you get through this. Like, it's not. It the, was, it's not the good triers club. No, it was. It was. <laughs> it was like. Do this. It was like. You know, I remember there was a during an evolution. I'm I'm struggling, and I, I went to ask a question to like, and I'm I like drinking with these guys like weeks before when I went through the Spartan race with them, and I remember Scott Blau just like I went to go say something. And he said, "Get the fuck away from me!" And I'm like, "Wow, all right, fucker." Like, <laughs> you know, but it, that's it was it's very militarized. Like they said, each person is current or former military who wears that mask. Now also law enforcement. And this filled my life with purpose. Once again, now I have a mission. I'm helping men and women in situations like mine, who's missing a leg, reach their goals of dealing with their disability and not letting their disability define who they are. They're going to find themselves. And we're doing it together as a team, just like in the military. And I realized as human beings, military, law enforcement, I don't give a shit who you are, civilian, you all need three Ps in your lives. You must have a purpose. What do you wake up for? To do every, every day. Thing. Yep. Also, what is your passion? What do you wake up for for yourself? Like an example, physical fitness is a huge passion of mine. It's very important to me, challenging myself physically. And um, I fucking love dogs. Who doesn't love dogs, right? <laughs> Part of something bigger than yourself. These organizations I work for, you know, it's the power of what community can do. And that right there, community is going to go to my three recipes. I believe we all need to find those three Ps. Attitude. So like I said before, that dysfunctional veteran attitude, it's going to get you nowhere in life. I missed the last P, by the way. Part of something bigger part than yourself. Part of something, yep. okay. Part of something bigger than yourself. Purpose, okay. passion, part of something. And then there's attitude is the first recipe to find those three Ps. Like a good attitude, you're going to need that in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like is that, that dysfunctional veteran and bad attitude is going to get you nowhere. Defeatist attitude. Right, Defeatist. exactly. Yeah, you, you're just going to fall apart. It's absolutely. like you've lost before you even started. You know, you, you think the, the Eagles, when they're going to win the Super Bowl, you know, you think they're going to go in there with a the bad attitude? No, they're going to fucking go Yeah, there. we are, because we're Eagles fans. We all got bad <laughs> attitudes. We fans, yeah. We all got bad attitudes. You know, it, it's funny. One of the quotes I heard back in the day is, if you think you can't, you're right. And that's 100%, right? If and you, if you think if you, you can. If you think you can't, you're right. If you think you'll you can, never do you're it. right. That's a, that's a great quote. Uh, where Where can our audience find you? Because you got a hell of a hell of a story. Yep. Oh, no kidding. 
two more recipes, and I'll tell you that. Attitude, comfort zone. You have to step out of it. And then third, community. Those three right there. So purpose, passion, part of something. You that's, know, you know, I, that's our group. I, yeah. That's he just nailed it. Like everything you just said is the the things that saved our lives, which is our group we group therapy. But it's just like minded individuals looking, searching for all of those points that you just made. Well, think about who you surround yourself with too. You know what I mean? Oh, like, they're it, fucked up, dude. I don't know if you you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's you know then like I said, attitude, comfort zone, community. The rest of five those three P's, and then I know we talked about this. And I want to talk, I do want to talk about this. What Cindy take, represents. Take your time. Yep. What Cindy represents, because her name is Cindy. Cindy the Center Block. Yep. Cindy the Center Block. Now, two organ, two other organizations I work for. It's not a hole in there, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Warrior Strong and the Oscar Mike Foundation, two charities that are very, like, both help keep health and wellness, keep wounded veterans active. We'll take Cindy out on the course with us, okay? And uh, I'll start off with her. Whatever race we're doing, and she gets pretty heavy after a while. But luckily, I have a team, a community, to help carry this. So I don't have to carry it by myself. We're carrying it together. It's a reminder for the same of the bullshit we deal up in here. We're gonna get in our heads once in a while, but it's sometimes that community carry the weight and give us a kick in the ass to say, "Dude, you don't have to carry this shit alone." You know what I mean? It's it's just um, like that Iraq deployment. I realized the power of what community could do during COVID. Look at when a community came into play to make sure these small businesses still close. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. us. Sometimes you need a smack on the back or a smack in the face. Mm-hmm. Whatever one you need at the time. Yep. A roundhouse to the fucking but, jugular. But did you just tell me that you share Cindy with all your all your friends? <laughs> you, little, you little whore. <laughs> Look, man, I've been doing this for years, and I have never, ever put that in my head before. <laughs> yeah. So the next time now, you- guess what? The next time you hand Cindy off to one of your friends, you're going to be like- that fucking Kevin. Treat her, <laughs> treat her right. So, look, I, um, look, dude, community is it. And the people you surround yourself with, too, is what's going to make or break you. You so, know what I mean? Earl, we're coming to the end of this thing here, and I, I try to end the show with – you got such a great attitude. I try to end the show with this same point and this same question. You, my friend, have gone through several different levels of suffering, several different levels of hell. What do you think it's taught you? What do you think what? What do you think it's taught you? <laughs> Stop doubting yourself. Stop it. And so you all, we all have inner strength. Yeah. Reach in and get that inner strength. And I think there's moments in your life where you may doubt yourself. I do it sometimes once in a while, but I have to, you know, sometimes I just realize, like, I... Think of things you've achieved before in the past, okay? Anybody out there? Think of things you achieved. There may have been a moment where you didn't think you were going to achieve that, but you did at some point. And you're like, fuck, I just did that. I want you to keep that in your mind and in your life all the time. When you're about to tackle something new, stepping out of your comfort zone, hey, you may fail, but that's okay. What do you do with that shit? You fucking will is me. I suck at this. Bad attitude. Why don't you shift, it, shift that around and like, okay, put this shit in my toolbox. What the fuck do I do with this now? How do I tackle this next time I do it? What am I going to do differently? So w- one of the tools that that's helpful for me is whenever I get down about something or whenever something doesn't go my way, I give myself a finite time to be a victim. Finite time. Okay, you got five minutes. You got 10 minutes. 
And I'll, I'll listen, I'll beat the shit out of myself in that 10 minutes. I, it's amazing how much damage I can do in 10 minutes. And when 10 minutes is up, all right, well, it's time to turn it around. Start to grind. Yeah, it's time to get going because it isn't, uh, staying here is not going to do me anything. Right. You know, one, one question I used to ask myself all the time, and, and that's how I got through a lot of it, is think about what it could have been. Right? What happened to you? If you weren't sitting in that seat, think of how it could have been. You you might not have been here now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm certainly glad, glad that you're here. Oh, absolutely. And you've got a great story to tell, and you're going to help a lot of people, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people as it is anyway. But I you, appreciate I mean, you your time, are, you're, I told you in the very beginning, I'm not worthy. I'm definitely not worthy now. <laughs> absolutely so, not. If there's anything we learn is to be an Eagles fan. <laughs> Go Eagles, baby. Fly, Eagles, fly. Thank you so much for joining us And the today, other thing Aaron. we learned is stay off of Broad Street when the Eagles win. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Stay out of Philly. Stay out of Pennsylvania. Yes, yes. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful. It's been amazing, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do in the future. Thank you, gentlemen. Check me out, earlgranville.org. Earlgranville.org. We'll put, show, we'll put links to all your media, all your social media, all your stuff on our website. Or on, on our show notes here. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of a Warrior with Earl Granville. And as always, let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. What are you leaving on the table? If a fifty caliber jams, have a cannon in reserve. <laughs> Passion makes this country great. Playing the victim will get you nowhere. What's next and what's your legacy? But most importantly, purpose, passion, part of something bigger than yourself. And that's going to do it for this episode. Follow us on all social media, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. Don't forget, you can always listen before you watch. All of our audio episodes come out on Sunday. And that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you next time.